At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we kicked off a new series last week called The Father Heart of God. And this series is taking us through Matthew 21 through 23, and really one of three different series as we're going to be walking through these verses over the next number of months. Uh, In this series in particular, focusing on the Father heart of God for us. And last week in specific, we saw Jesus tell a parable about God's patient and persistent and personal pursuit of us. And so we looked at that last Sunday from the end of Matthew chapter 21. But today we're going to see another parable, another story that Jesus tells that reveals to us something about the Father heart of God from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. But before we look at those verses together, I want to just have you think for a moment about the last time you had a party that you sent out invitations. Now, for for some of you, uh, this is a very pressing recent thing because you just had somebody graduate and you mailed out invitations or announcements. For others of you, you had a wedding in your family and you mailed out those wedding invitations. Uh, For others, though, it might be a little further back or it might be a little smaller scale. It might have been a birthday party or an anniversary or something. But I want you to think for just a moment about the last time that you threw a party and you invited others to come. Now, when that happened, here's basically what happened. There was something going on that you felt was worth celebrating. And you didn't want to celebrate alone. So you invited those close to you to help celebrate something with you. Now, when that happened and those invitations went out, whether they were letters that were put in the mail or whether there was an evite that went out in email, when that happened, what would happen if when those invitations went out, nobody responded and nobody came? What happens in your life if there's something you're excited to celebrate and you invite those in your network to come and no one shows up? Well, friends, this idea is the subject of a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 22, where we see the Heavenly Father inviting people to a party, inviting people to a feast, and at first, no one comes. My desire for us today as we look at this is that we would realize that our Heavenly Father is inviting you and is inviting me to a feast, to a celebration that He desires that we be at. But in order to participate, we need to respond. This morning we're going to see that as we look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 1. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll, we'll go back and unpack them to find a little more out about what they mean and how they connect to our lives. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, 
Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm and another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, friends, in these verses, we have what is known as the parable of the wedding feast. And I want us to first kind of orient ourselves to the story before we make some ob observations from it. Now, again, this story is a parable that Jesus tells. And, and what is a parable? But parables were stories that Jesus told where he talked about something from the world that people knew, and he used it as an analogy to teach them about something about the kingdom of heaven that they needed to know about. So he took something from the world they knew and he used it as an opportunity to teach them about something else. Now, each of the stories or parables that Jesus tells, they're not true stories. In other words, this didn't really happen, but it was true to life. And it was used to, to make a particular point. So the context is really important. Again, the context of Matthew chapter 22 is in the rejection of the nation of Israel of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and had presented himself there, but what began as a celebration quickly turned into rejection as Jesus went up to the Temple Mount, and as he began clearing the temple, the, the leaders of Israel looked at Jesus and they said, we don't want you, and by whose authority are you doing such things? So in response to that rejection, Jesus begins to talk in these parables to illustrate what is happening. And that's the context that we see this story being told. Now, what is the story that Jesus tells? Well, he tells this story about a wedding feast. See, there was a king who had a son who was getting married. And the king was so excited that his son was getting married that he threw a big-time party. And he wanted all of the usual suspects to come and celebrate this wedding with him and his son. And so he invited all the dignitaries, all of the, the normal people, all the people who would expect to be on the guest list. The king invites them all to come. And you know what they did? They did nothing. The invites went out, everybody was notified, and nobody came. So what does the king do? Well, the king thinks, well, maybe they didn't quite get it. So the king sends another round of servants, and this time he sends even more. And he equips them with Instagram photos of the food that is already on the table. 
As if to let them know, look, here are the many courses that you'll be able to eat when you come to this party. I mean, it's going to be awesome. Not only will you be able to eat these things, but look at the centerpieces on the table. Look at the decorations in the hall. All the preparations have been made. The the king sends out another wave of servants, and they again invite the people, the, the usual suspects, to come and to celebrate the wedding of the king's son. But did they respond? No, they didn't. As a matter of fact, some of them just decided to go back to their farms, it says. Yeah, I've got some wheat to harvest. I, I don't have time for the, for the feast. Others, it says, went to their, their business. I've got some shelves to restock, or I've got some receipts to file. Still others were just indifferent, just wanted to do their own thing. But even others mistreated those who did the inviting, mistreated them, and in some cases even killed them. Now, I think that is a dramatic response, to kill those who invited them to a party. I mean, imagine if you sent an invitation out in the mail inviting people to come to your graduation party, and somebody got the invitation, and they killed the mailman. I think you could take that as a no. They're not coming, right? So Jesus tells this story where an invitation goes out to come to the wedding of the son. And yet the people, the usual suspects, those who would have expected an invitation, reject, reject, reject. Well, eventually the king has enough. So what does he do? He mobilizes his army, and he goes into that city, and he burns it to the ground. But the party is still going on. And the banquet hall is empty. So what does the king do next? We send servants out to the main road, the main highway. And he says, I want you to go out there and indiscriminately, I want you to invite in everybody you see. Invite them to come and celebrate with me the wedding of my son. And so the servants go out to the main road and they begin inviting in everybody. And they come in and eventually the wedding hall is filled Well, when the hall is filled and the celebration is ready to go, keep in mind, weddings of a royal family in the first century would have gone on for weeks. When it's ready to go, in walks the king, and he looks around and he surveys those in attendance. And he finds one who is present, but is not wearing the proper attire. And so the king comes up to that one, and with the help of his servants, he has a conversation with him. The person refuses the attire, and he is ushered into what is called the outer darkness. He is kicked out of the party. Now, that's the story that Jesus tells. But in general terms, we need to first orient ourselves to what Jesus is talking about when he shares this story. And when he tells the story that the king is a picture of God the Father, and the son is a picture of who? Jesus, you guys are really sharp. So God the Father and Jesus, the king and his son. The usual suspects who are invited to the celebration are who? The nation of Israel. Those who would have expected an invitation to the party. And what is the party? It's the inauguration of the kingdom. 
It's the beginning of God's rule upon the earth. It's a, it's a celebration that's going to go on and on and on, and they are invited, and the invitation is extended. But they reject Jesus as their Messiah. They reject him as their king. And so what happens next? Well, the invitation extends to others. And who are those others? Those others, friends, are you and me. People outside the nation of Israel who were invited into the banquet hall to celebrate the provision that the Father is providing through the Son. A celebration that is going on and on and on into eternity. Now, if that's the case, then who is the one who is present but is kicked out? Well, that is the one in this age who is not trusting in what the Son has provided. And we'll see more of that in just a moment. This is the picture of what Jesus is sharing as he uses this parable of the wedding feast. Now, when we look at this a little more in depth, I want us to see some observations, three observations, in fact, that will help us take this story, make more sense of it, and begin to see its connection to our lives today. The first thing I want us to see as we look at these observations is this. I want us to see the prophecy that is mentioned here. I want us to see the prophecy that is mentioned. Now, this happens right in the middle of this story with the army that the king assembles. But let's first kind of orient to what has happened here. See, when the invitation goes out to those to come to the feast, they reject the offer. It's not that they could not come, but the passage tells us that they would not come. And this is a picture of the nation of Israel who who saw Jesus come in the flesh and present himself as their Messiah. And they looked at him in the first century and they said, we don't want you. Go away. Now that certainly wasn't true of every person who lived in the nation of Israel at that time, but that was true of the national leadership of Israel in the first century. They looked at Jesus and they said, we don't want to go to your party. We don't believe you are who you say you are, and we reject you. Now, when Jesus is rejected, what did the nation do? Well, the nation responded in an incredibly violent way. Not only did they reject Jesus, but they handed him over to the Romans, who took him outside the gate and crucified him. They killed him in a terrible way, in a public fashion. That's where Jesus ended up. But what does God do after Jesus dies? Does God immediately bring judgment upon the nation of Israel? No. By God's grace, God continues to send waves of witnesses to the nation of Israel, begging them to repent of their sin and to receive their Messiah that they had slain but had now risen from the dead. And this is what the first several chapters of the book of Acts are all about, as these waves of disciples go out into all of Israel and they invite people to repent and come to faith. For 40 years, from 30 AD to 70 AD, the nation of Israel is invited to embrace Jesus as Messiah. But they reject him, they reject him, they reject him. They even begin killing the messengers sent in his name. People like James and Stephen, killed in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Well, given this persistent 
rejection that the nation of Israel does of the offer of salvation in Jesus, what happens next? Well, what happens next is the action that Jesus prophesied when he talks about the king ultimately assembling his army and coming and burning the city. Friends, this is, in fact, what happens in history about 40 years after Jesus makes this statement. In 70 AD, when the king assembled his army, who was the Roman army, Now, when we hear that, we we think that sounds really strange. Why would God's army be the Romans' army? Does that mean that God is Roman? No. But we need to orient ourselves to the Old Testament mindset, the Old Testament time, the Old Covenant. God made a promise with Israel, which is different from the relationship he has with you and I. It was with the, the nation. And God said to the nation of Israel, if you obey me, then I will protect your borders, and I will cause your crops to grow, and I will take care of you. But if you disobey me, then I will discipline you. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, the discipline of God came through an opposing army like the Assyrians or the Babylonians. This is the time of Daniel in the lion's den and those kinds of things. God would use a foreign army to inflict his discipline upon his people. And so with the persistent rejection of Jesus, even 40 years after his resurrection, God disciplines Israel by sending a Roman army in 70 AD under the direction of Titus into Israel and inflicted an incredible atrocity. About a million Jews are estimated to have died in this siege. And the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, was burned. And the stones that that held up the temple were pushed down off of the side. This was real judgment from God that happened towards the nation of Israel in 70 AD, and Jesus talked about it here, and it followed the rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Now, friends, I know what you might be thinking. I thought we were going to be encouraged about the father heart of God today. It's Father's Day. What are you doing, pastor? Can you hurry up and get to the the other part of the story? Well, here's the thing. We see the father heart of God here. We see it in his love of the nation of Israel. We see it in the way that he kept his covenant with them. We see it in the way that he pursued them and he sent the prophets to them and he sent the disciples to them. We see it even after the death of Jesus. He continues to provide a testimony and a witness inside of that nation. But upon that persistent rejection of the person of Christ, eventually judgment comes. And it happened in a dramatic way in history that we can go and see. Do you realize if you went to Jerusalem today, you would still see divots in the original pavement where the stones were pushed off of the Temple Mount area and crashed below when the city was burned. It really happened. And it's a reminder for you and me. It's a reminder for you and me that persistent rejection of what God is offering us in Christ leads to consequence and judgment. You see, in the Old Testament time, leading up to 70 AD, God had this old covenant with the nation of Israel, but that's not the nature of our arrangement. I'm not here talking about America's sin. I'm talking about your sin and my sin. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death and separation from God. Because you sin, because I sin, there are consequences that come to that. And we have events like 70 AD to remind us that God is serious about judging sin. It will really happen. 
And it would be negligent for us to gather today and for me not to warn you that if you are rejecting the provision that God is offering you in Christ, that judgment is coming upon you. And I say that not because you're worse than any of us. I say that because that is a pronouncement that fits all of us apart from Christ. See, the first thing we see as we look at this parable is we see the prophecy that is mentioned and it reminds us of the judgment that's coming. The second thing I think that we see inside of this is the invitation that is extended. Now, I, I love this because this, this story, this parable is not really just a story about judgment. That's just one line of it. But this is really a story about a party. It's a story about a celebration. The Father's heart is demonstrated in that people are invited to a celebration. Jesus coming into the world and the provision of what the king could offer is worth celebrating. And guess what? The God who created all things wants you at that celebration. He desires a relationship with you, and he desires a relationship with me. We see that inside of this this story here as this king sends the servants out to invite others to come to the feast. Now, in the, the parable, the picture is when the usual suspects reject the invitation, the king sends the servants out to the, what's called the main road. I think the idea is that they would have gone to the main highway in Israel at that time, which was the Via Maris, the way of the sea. They would have gone to that main area where people from all different nationalities, from all parts of the world, would travel through that area, and they would send the servants out to that location and invite people to come into the banquet hall. In the first century, it was the Via Maris, but today it's like I-35 and I-40, Right? You can imagine if the king has a party and none of the usual suspects come, what if the king sent his servants out to the corner of I-35 and I-40 and invited everybody who drove by to come to the celebration that the king was hosting for the marriage of his son? Now, can you imagine the people that you would meet if you just invited everybody who drove by I-35 and I-40? You would meet some colorful characters, no doubt. In the, in the parable, it says that all were invited. The good and the bad were all invited. That's a, an expression to say everybody, everybody that came by, they were all invited to come in until eventually the banquet hall was full. And friends, this picture of this story is a great encouragement to you and I because it means that you and I are invited to the feast. You and I are invited into a relationship with God. Now, now think again, if, if you're just imagining those who are driving down I-35 and I-40, can you imagine if they were invited to come in? They think they're just going to Pops to have a hamburger today, an overpriced hamburger with a unique bottle of soda. But instead of ending up there, they end up at the table of the king. And not just for one meal, but hey, stay for the whole celebration. They're invited to that kind of provision. You can imagine the the buzz in the room as they got in there thinking about that celebration. And friends, that's you and I. We have been invited to the table of the king. Have you lost sight of that? You know, all of us fit. You know, when I say good and bad, don't raise your hand, but how many of you think of yourself as good? Now, how many of you think of yourself as bad? The reality is all of us 
probably would put ourselves on some kind of a sliding scale. If good is 100 and bad is 1, we might say I'm about a 57 or whatever you would say, a 42 or, or whatever. But, but, but that's where you, you kind of place yourself. And yet what this story says is that whether you're a 1 or you're a 100, whether you're a 42 or you're a 57, the invitation to come and to be at the feast is extended to each and every one of us. And that's incredible news because we are familiar with the reasons why we would not be invited to such a party. And yet the invitation came anyway. God got it to you. God got it to me through a series of messengers who brought this message to us and said, hey, the Son of God desires a relationship with you. Come and celebrate with him. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about that, that invitation that is extended to us, and when we talk about that, sometimes we begin to think that salvation is just universal. If the invitation goes to all, then maybe all are saved. But that's not what the Scripture teaches, and that's not what this passage says. Though the invitation goes out to everybody who drove down I-35 and I-40, though the invitation has come to each and every one of us, in order for us to... to celebrate at that feast, there is a response that is needed. We, we need to respond to this invitation. We need to receive what God has offered us. Now, we see this inside of this story, and we see it in the way that the people come. The people show up inside of the wedding hall. But, but here, here's something that we need to look at. The presence of the one man who is there but is kicked out lets us know what the response that is needed is not. See, the response that is needed is not simply to be in the room. This man who is kicked out in our story was in the room. He was in the banquet hall. And yet that wasn't sufficient. He was kicked out. Friends, this is a reminder to us that when we think about responding to the offer of what God is offering us in Christ, it's, it's not a matter of us just showing up in the room of a church, being present for worship. When, when it comes time to our inclusion in the feast of what God is doing, he's not just going to look at our card and if we have enough gold stars by our attendance of different Sundays that he'll say, okay, you're in because you were there. I mean, here is someone who was there and yet is kicked out. It's not just about being in the room. It's also not just about wearing our own righteous regalia. You know, sometimes we think that it's not just being in the room, okay, but maybe it's being in the room and demonstrating a life that is impressive enough to God that he would allow us to stay. Again, we have here the picture of this man who is kicked out, he is there and he is wearing his own clothes. And out of everybody in the room, the king sees him and points him out and says, man, you are not wearing the appropriate attire. You're still wearing your own clothes. The king wasn't impressed. And he ushers him out of the room. This again is a, is a picture for us that the response that is needed is not merely that we're in the room and it's not merely that we're wearing our own righteous regalia. It's something else. So what is it? Well, the answer to that question, friends, is something that actually is not explicitly mentioned inside of this passage, but 
is obvious from the context. Let me ask you, how many people driving down I-35 or I-40, no clue knowing what is lying ahead of them, are already wearing clothing sufficient to go to a royal wedding? I mean, how, how, many, how many people, right? Probably none, right? So what does this tell us about the story? That the king looks out and everybody is wearing the right clothes except one. That means that the clothing that the people were wearing at the party, they didn't come with, it was given to them by the king. And everybody who was present had put on the clothing the king had provided for the celebration except one who persisted and insisted upon wearing his own clothes. And we see in this, friends, the picture of the gospel. I think it hints at the words of Isaiah the prophet, who says in Isaiah chapter 64, in verse 6, he says this, he says, We all have become like one who is unclean, And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Friends, even our best deeds are still a polluted garment before a holy God. If we want to wear the appropriate clothing for the wedding feast, we cannot rely on merely what we came into this world with. We need something else. Well, thankfully, God has provided that for us. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10 says it this way. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Friends, God has provided for us the clothing necessary for the party. This, of course, is a picture of what he has done for us in Christ. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our polluted garments of our lives, our sinfulness and the ways that we fall short, and he placed them about himself that when he died, the penalty that God required for those sins was satisfied. But the righteous life that Christ lived is offered to us as an exchange that we might clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at us at the feast, he he sees the righteousness of Jesus and not our sin because of what God has done for us in Christ. And if we have embraced that gift of what Jesus has done for us, then we have the opportunity to be at the feast of the king. And here's the thing. It's not just a feast that goes on for a few weeks, but it's a feast that goes on for eternity. And it's not just providing a little bit, but he provides everything we could ever possibly need forever. And that is offered to each and every one of us in this room, to everyone who hears my voice today, whether it's live here, whether it's listening to the podcast later, whether it's watching the live stream right now. Friends, we all have an opportunity. We have been invited to the party, but in order for us to remain there, we need to respond by putting on the garment of Christ and trusting his death as the payment for our sins and as our hope for all eternity. Friends, it's my great, great hope that each and every one of us in this room 
would be trusting in Christ today. John Stott says this of this parable. He says, so the meaning of this parable is clear. God has provided the feast of the kingdom. It is the wedding feast for his son. The invitation goes out far and wide. If you reject it, you miss the party. If you think you can get in relying on your own fitness, you'll be thrown out. Many are invited, but few show by their response that they are chosen. Friends, are you responding by trusting in Christ today? If you are, then you have a spot at the table forever. But if you're rejecting it, you're waiting, saying, I just need to go back to the farm or take care of the business or do my own thing, then you're in great peril because we do not know the day or the hour when our time is done or when Christ returns. And we all trust Christ today. You know, on this Father's Day uh, weekend, I, I think about how all of us, and, and psychology even verifies this, all of us desire the approval of our Father. And the frustration for some of us is we never got it or our dad is absent or gone or we can never hear it again because he has passed away. But, but here's the thing. Each and every one of us today can hear the approval of our Heavenly Father, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of our response, placing about ourselves the provision that He offers us in Christ. Would you trust Him today? Let's pray. Father God, thank You for the opportunity to to look into your word today and be encouraged by this parable, Father, that demonstrates for us uh, your heart for us, your desire for a relationship with us. Not only have you invited us in, but you also have, have offered us the regalia necessary to be present at your table. Father, I pray that everyone here in this room, that we would understand that judgment is coming, that we would retreat to the person of Jesus and we would trust him for the forgiveness of our sins and for our hope for all eternity. Father, may may we clothe ourselves in Christ today. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.